Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh without further ado here's part two Excellent. i guess you know kind of switching gears a little bit to to uh it sounds like you guys were really kind of ramping up or had already ramped up by the time covid came around but i know that worldwide we were having all kinds of issues with materials and then material prices just started just going crazy on us yeah. How did that affect your guys' business? Did you guys have a lot of effect from that? And did it change the way that you underwrote deals? Or how did that work? So we were we were really lucky with, uh, I can't say that it changed a lot, but we were really lucky in the sense where we had already bought the lots that and we had lined up our projects before everything went crazy. I think we bought three lots in 2020, but like prices hadn't yet soared when we bought these. Um, so just that, it was easier for us to figure out the budgets while we were building. We were also lucky in a way where we had um, we had two fourplexes that we were building, uh, like in 20, started 2020 and 2021. I don't remember exactly the sequence, but um, we had we had bought and stored a bunch of materials ahead of time without even knowing that there would be supply chain issues. It's just one of those things that we're like, oh, there's a good deal on flooring. You know what? Let's just buy it all right now and stock it up. And we were happy we right. did. So. Um, a couple moves that happened just at the right time. We did do one fourplex though in the middle of the peak, like 2021, when everything was crazy and uh, the the lot we had already purchased before, thank God. But everything else, so we got really hit with the the, the lumber um, and a button like material pricing and uh, labor prices. But uh, Rob kind of scaled back and he because we were at a point where we it was either we would hire an employee or we would start subbing out a lot more to sub trades, right? So at first that's, we were heading towards subbing out so that we wouldn't have to have an employee and Rob could take time off. Um, in the end though, we couldn't do that with COVID because everything was too expensive. So we got, it was better math to have an employee and have just like a labor on site to help him out, like a second pair of hands um, and uh, and take on more of the labor work himself. So we were able to keep our loan to value ratio at like 70% with that, uh, which really helped us because interest rate when we signed was like at 6%, right? We weren't pl- like, we were planning, we knew things were going to get back up. Interest rates weren't going to stay that low forever, but we were planning at a 5%, not six. So, you know, it was still a hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That hit a lot of investors, including myself, where it just really slowed my business down yeah. entirely. Just nothing was, nothing was. No, exactly. Correctly. It didn't make sense. And that, no, that's super interesting. And, and, um, the the fact that you're making those deals work at that percentage is is kind of really interesting and in the, the mechanics of how that works. As yeah, well. I mean, at a certain Kyle, point. Sorry, I no, it's okay. You, it's okay. It's just off. yeah, at a certain point, you kind of have to make it work. <laughs> and you know, I I guess, and I want to. I, I meant to ask a question earlier before this last one, but I, I'm curious why 
like what's your direction with this business and what's your purpose? Cause you know, everybody needs a purpose if the, in anything that they do, especially in investing. Otherwise you burn mm-hmm. off. And uh, I'm curious what it is that you guys are comp- trying to accomplish. Is there an end goal here? Cause goal setting in this type of a business is so super important. So is there something else more so than just, you know, becoming financially and, and also getting time freedom, be- becoming financially free and a- accomplishing time freedom? Uh, our goals change often, to be very honest, but uh, mostly so right now we're looking at doing a, a larger development project. Um, it is mostly just about hitting our target cash flow, um, target monthly cash flow. Once we can hit that, it'll be other opportunities. We We like, you know, the idea of maybe starting other types of businesses. We might do something completely different it might stay in the construction industry we're not sure but our goals change pretty often uh we try to keep the same business statement or business mission where it's just to provide quality rental for any people who's looking any person who's looking to rent whether it's for one year or 20 so that's like our our mission statement um so with that we focus on trying to accomplish um more cash flow less doors if that makes sense so like we have a minimum threshold of how much we want a door to cash flow and so when we're shopping for deals like let's say we're looking at a fiveplex but it cash flows less than a duplex we're going for the duplex we don't want to just have oh we want 50 doors no because 50 doors means nothing it doesn't mean you're cash flowing so we want to have the most amount of cash flow with the least amount of doors um so that we can and that's the way we say it as we can keep this like the same level or the, or the better level of service that we can provide for our tenants. Cause if we don't have cash flow, well then we can't hire the good maintenance or the, you, you know what I mean? Like we can't provide the good service if we don't make any money. So uh, we're just trying to kind of get to a point where we can um, reach that target monthly cash flow. And then from there, we want to create generational wealth too for our son. We want to get him in that. We want to make sure that he understands the value of hard work and that he can kind of maybe take over the business if he wants it or if he wants to do something completely different than whatever. Uh, but we want to teach that to our son. We want to pass it on, but we're not stuck on doing this forever. Uh, it would be cool to have a construction business too, though, like grow a construction business, have more employees and let them kind of handle it while we go on vacation once in a while. Um, because right now it is a bit difficult to take vacation. Um, so that's one direction. We kind of have different directions that we want to take it and we're keeping it open. We're not stuck on one thing. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's our answer. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that. I think that the the cash flow thing is really interesting. Um, certainly around the idea of, um, more overheads, right? Especially in how there's much, so much un- economic uncertainty yeah. and like what we're all going through and stuff is is kind of yeah. interesting. Like, actually, more more inventory is actually not better. Yeah. More more doors yeah, are exactly. always better. So that's that's super cool. And I think the other thing that you know really taps into that is the community piece. And we've heard that a lot recently, right, Kyle? That um, it's a bit more of a cause, and that's something I've really wrestled with. Is like I was purely looking at cash flow. I want to earn this by this. And it's like, well, actually, what does that yeah. do for the world? And how does that uh, impact things? And maybe that I'm a, I'm a parent of a two-year-old. So yeah. that kind of changes Absolutely. perspective, right? When you start to, Carl's, Carl's an old hand at that. He knows there's a higher purpose, right, Carl? <laughs> yeah, higher purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I, I did want to ask you was around um, the financing piece of how you've kind of leveled up and financed these um, these properties. 
is can you run us through kind of the first one was a an or did you say it was an auto yes. loan <laughs> um, it's that? called the, here it's called the, <laughs> an auto construction loan um so basically it's it's easier to get when it's for your own home um when it's for an investment property the rules change right so that's how we kind of got into it was by building it building our own home um you are able to replace your 20 percent down payment with your sweat equity so for easy math, let's say you get your drawings evaluated for a hundred thousand. The bank says, "Okay, well, obviously you're getting eighty percent of that, so it's up to you to build it for eighty percent for eighty thousand. And you know, if you're able to do it for less than that, then you can pocket the difference. But if not, then you got to put it up front money. Um, so, so yeah, you just gotta really budget. You gotta get in there. You gotta do the work. You gotta grind it out, and you save money. And that's at the end of it. They give you draws." I'm probably not explaining it very well, but the 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 bank will give you uh like loan installments, and every time the construction progresses and that you're needing an extra um, loan advancement, then you'll call the evaluator to come and see the, the the construction. They'll write a report, send it to the bank, then the bank gives you the percentage value of where you're at in the project, um, and then you progress with that until the the and you just pay interest during the construction too. And then when everything's done, uh, you get your your full loan. You pay back your uh, your construction loan. You get your mortgage in. Um, so that's how we did it. But then um, then you know we added a, a basement apartment too. So we ended up like reevaluating, getting a HELOC, and then we used that HELOC to leverage it into an, an investment property. Um, but things changed a lot since we did that back in 2014 because I know a few of my friends have tried to to do the same thing, and it was a little bit more strict. Um, so I don't know how the, because now we're on the commercial side of the bank too. So it's different now that we have more, more properties, uh, we're no longer on the personal side. So we don't see the personal side of how it is now. Uh, but I know that it has changed a bit, uh, but it still exists. It's still possible, you know, to get that kind of, that kind of loan. Yeah. And then you bring up a, a pretty interesting, um, topic, which is kind of commercial financing versus residential financing. And I, my wife and I, we fought the commercial thing for a long time, for many, many years. We, we just, you know, I don't want to get more than four units in a property because I don't want to deal with commercial financing. It comes with higher interest rates. It's got a lower amortization. It's got a balloon in five years. I don't, and I don't know if Canadian banks are the same, but um, that, that's pretty typical what we get in here in the United States. So when you moved over to the commercial side, what was the difference in the residential? And did you have, I guess, kind of a... a a mind block or did you push back against going commercial or did you just feel like that was the right way to go from day one? Um, we didn't really have a feeling about anything. We just kind of went with it. It was like, okay, we're getting roadblock here. We want to do this project. What do we do to get it done? And so they told us, well, you have to do this. You have to do this. Okay, cool. We're just going to do it. So we just kind of went through the waves and whatever happened happened. And eventually everything got transferred over to the, the, the commercial side, I call it there. Um, so we're with a credit union, though. We're not with a traditional bank. Um, so they have a little bit more flexibility in the construction loan. Like there is the credit union that is known for that in this in this area where I am. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was at when you we crossed over at one point two million terms in terms of mortgages. So we had that in the personal way, like, okay, well, now you have to cross over. Uh, but I honestly, it's been years. We crossed over in 2019, I think. So I already don't remember to me. It's just like, okay, it's dealt with. It's done. I, so I don't, I don't retain the details. <laughs> 
what what are the differences uh, and and you just said you don't retain the details but can you can you remember the kind of key differences of like commercial versus um i guess residential or or, or consumer i guess because i've i've been looking at both and and kind of trying to figure out what a good route for me would be whether i'd go commercial whether i'd just try and go for I guess conforming normal normal yeah. finance, right? Uh, what are the biggest so they differences? Look at, they look at your financial um, like st- situation maybe a little differently. So they have the uh, you know your debt to income ratio is different though. Your properties have to like it's the one to one ratio with the. Uh, I, honestly, I I don't remember what's if that's different than on the personal side, um, but I know that now when we go to apply for a construction. A loan we have to so they'll say okay like before we could say actually we needed to do that too in the personal anyways i'm just going to ex- explain a bit of how it works when we try to get a construction loan and then maybe you know you'll tell me if that makes sense but i i don't think i can tell you right now the differences between personal and commercial i'd have to go back in old emails to find out um but uh they did uh now they ask us so we get our appraisals done for the construction drawings and they'll say okay um you need to so so, you know how an appraisal works usually for well it's like that for everything but for construction they'll give you the Mm -hmm. cost approach the income approach um and then like the market value so they'll lend us 80 percent of the cost approach which is usually the the lower number um, and then you have to be able to provide the, tw- or show that you can provide the 20% in down payment, uh, the, that you have it available either in a line of credit or in cash or something like that. And then you have to put it up front yourself. Like you have to get the ball rolling in the construction, put up all that money. So if it's a hundred thousand dollars that's needed for the down payment, you have to put in a hundred thousand dollars in the property before they advance that first loan installment on the construction. Um, so you have to get it appraised first and say, okay, you are at that value. Now we can give you the first loan. Um, but before in personal, it wasn't like that. I think they were able to kind of advance it up front, um, if I remember correctly. But again, that might have changed in the last years, right? It might not be the same in the personal anymore. Um, that's the first thing I can remember of what's different. Other than that, um, They'll look more at the, the overview of your business too, the business health, the last two years and stuff like that, the portfolio, like you need to send in a rent roll and stuff like that. We didn't need to do that on the personal side either. Um, it's coming back to me slowly, but uh, maybe I can circle back to that if something else comes up. But that's all yeah. I can remember for now. And and so essentially you've used exclusively bank financing for all of your deals. Is that correct? We have done a private lending Twice. So once with that uh, traditional bird that we did, um, and then with the fourplex, we were kind of pushed into that one. We were starting the fourplex. We had the we had the preliminary okay from the bank to start the construction. Um, we had the footings were about to be poured. We were just waiting for their final okay. But like everything was there. It was it was spring. It was wet, and we were just like, okay, we need to get in this. The, the hole was dug, right? So we need to get in this right now before everything starts flooding. Um, and uh, we had we were just about to pick up our forty thousand dollar permit because I don't know how how much permits are in your area, but new construction. Did you say 40, yeah, forty thousand? And that's cheap now. Now they're like fifty five. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so we, yeah, gosh. it's very expensive. The development fees is what makes it expensive. Um, but yeah, we were just about to go pick up that permit and, uh, that, that day before we got an email from the bank saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't think we can, we can uh, approve your loan anymore. And we were like, okay, what, what's going on? So it was a huge stress. I remember freaking out, 
But at the same time, it's good that it happened because it showed us how um, resourceful we could be because we pulled it off in a week. We got financing from a private lender. We called our accountant, which is a, a good friend and also an investor in our area. We called him and told him what was going on. And he said, okay, well, I have contacts. You know, I can put you in contact with people. Um, so he set up a meeting within a week with someone and uh, I had put up this really quick like portfolio overview on a Word document and and our Excel sheets with our finances. Like so it, it wasn't organized like it is today, but it it worked, whatever worked. And we brought that. We met with them and we chatted with them for about 30 minutes or like 10 minutes before just so that they get to know us. And then we, we presented the project and um uh, that guy was like kind of a broker for private lending in the area. And so he told me, okay, I think I can get you two people who might be interested. Um, so he came back a couple of days later and said, I have this person at this percentage or this person at this percentage. Uh, and obviously we went with the cheaper percentage, but also because we ended up knowing who that person was through the branches. And we know it was a good person because I was very afraid of doing a private loan. I, it felt like, you know, like a shark loan. I don't know. It just, it just felt, um, it felt iffy to me. It, it, like it, like it wasn't something normal. And so I didn't want to take that high risk. Uh, but I knew this person was a great, had a great reputation in, in our, in our market. Um, so we went for it and within a week from, from getting that, uh, initial meeting, we had our loan. He agreed to do it in installments, kind of like the same way as the bank. So even though we were paying a higher interest, we were able to manage, the interest payments uh, more because we were just paying on what we were borrowing. He wasn't giving us a big chunk of the, like the, the entire loan in one shot. Um, so that went really well. And then turns out like a week after that, the bank was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. It turns out it was just a mistake on our end. We're good to go. And we're like, yeah, well too late now, but let's set up the mortgage though. <laughs> too late. <laughs> That's amazing that you, that, that cycle is so quick. I, I'm with you. I find it, I find it, yeah. Kind of icky, I guess, is a, is a word. Um, but I equally, I do, I do private lend through okay. my retirement account, so that makes <laughs> zero sense, right? Um, in terms of that that pitching process, did it feel like a pitch? Did you have to pitch yourselves and then the project, um, or how how was was it how was, was the okay conversation? because that broker was very sweet. Uh, he made us feel comfortable, and we just, you know, I'm I'm used to. I was used to meeting clients at my old job being a designer. I was kind of used to talking with people. So we just, we just chatted and, you know, we're French. So that, that gentleman was French too. And it just felt comfortable. It was like someone local from our area. Um, he just, you could, you could tell he was trying to get a feel of us to see what kind of people we are. And, same thing on our side right we're trying to figure out and we didn't know he was just yeah. a broker at that time we didn't know what was going on so we just chatted with him and it felt comfortable and then when we understood what was going on um you know after we had pitched we we had our, our project and our portfolio review he looked through it um but it was no it was comfortable it was okay and i think it's important that it felt comfortable if it wouldn't have felt comfortable i wouldn't have went through with it right um so yeah and what was the exit strategy out of that? Was it just, did you just pay yeah. back the loan? Did you, did you go back to the bank and refinance? Yeah. So when the bank had come back and said, oh, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. You know, we're good to go. We said, okay, well, we found another way. Thank you anyways. Um, but let's, let's meet back in a couple months to talk about the, the mortgage. Right. So we still went ahead with the mortgage with them. Um, and so as soon as construction was done, was done, we still, uh, had it appraised and sent the report to the bank. They knew what the project was going on, right. They were aware of the file, obviously. Um, and so once the, once we had our mortgage, we were able to pay back our private lender. Um, and that was that, that was, that was the extra strategy. It took us, I think that project took us longer than, 
might have taken us some almost a year, but it's because Rob was doing everything himself, a lot himself, not everything, but a lot himself. Um, so it did take longer, but um, but yeah, no, it, it, we didn't really have an exit strategy plan other than, oh my God, we have to get a mortgage and pay this guy back because we were stuck, right? We weren't planning on getting a, a private lender. Interesting stuff. And when you say he was doing a lot of it himself, was he actually working on the house itself or managing the project? No, Rob doesn't. Rob works a lot on the project. Like he, oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's in there swinging the hammer, installing the drywall. He likes drywall is his thing. He loves that. Uh, but yeah, he, he'll, yeah, I know. I know he's weird, right? I don't get it either. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that there are some things in this life that are worth paying for. Drywall. Drywall is number one. Yeah. So he loves oh. boarding up. He doesn't do the plaster though. We hire for the plaster, but he loves boarding up. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. That's, that's not so bad then. I, I'm not a very artistic person. So when I have to do something and make it look good, <laughs> it doesn't go very well. Um, I would love to know how you guys find properties. How do you source lots? Because I'm assuming you're purchasing these lots. You said you earlier during COVID, you had already purchased a lot and then you were able to build on it. What are you guys doing to find these? Are these all on-market deals or are you building relationships for off-market stuff? That too, yeah. So yes yeah. and yes. Um, so we do a lot of properties that we got was from MLS. So just something went on the market, but um, it wasn't back then. It Finding lots wasn't a crazy strategic maneuver like it is today ever since covid lots now are going for three times what four times what they were before and they're leaving within 28 minutes of being posted online right so um it's not the same before we could we, there was like a lot for we their first lot we bought it for thirty five thousand dollars um and now that same lot probably would sell, sell for like 150 i don't know but um so it's not the same and like we had time to actually analyze the property back then and look at it and and, and do our research before even putting in an offer um so back then it was it was easier it was it was more of a laid back thing, but it was a lot of uh, on market deals, MLS. Um, and then after that, um, eventually, you know, so posting it on social media, telling people what you do, uh, or even just building itself, especially in our market, it's not a very big town. Um, people talk, people know each other, especially in the construction and, and investment industry. Everybody knows everybody. We talk to people on a daily basis. So the word spreads and they know what you do. And then you end up getting called. So I think at least like just yesterday, I got a call for someone uh, wanting to sell a lot. Um, so it, it just, the word spreads. So about 50, 50, I'd say is either off market or uh, MLS. Well, that's, that's kind of interesting. And I think um, it's, it's interesting to hear the spike yeah. in, in numbers in Canada oh, yeah. as well as here. San Diego went, went crazy. And, um, went through the roof so is will the will the strategy going forward be to continue to use um traditional finance or will you will you rely on uh, private money again what do, what does that look like is is there a scale kind so of question right there? now it's still conventional lending uh that's what we prefer we prefer to pay the lower interest and have more of the um less of the the risk of you know not knowing if you'll be able, you'll be able mm -hmm. to pay that person back i just find especially with the interest rates going up and um banks kind of tightening their belts around the approvals and stuff I wouldn't want to be stuck in a position where all of a sudden they change their approval standards and you can't get a mortgage and you can't pay that person back and you're stuck paying that. You, you can't pay private lending, you know, long term. You can't pay those interest rates long term. Um, so and usually the, the agreement is for a year maximum. Um, so no, conventional lending is definitely where we're at. Um, we do have line of credits and stuff where we're able to 
do a lot of stuff or like buy stuff ourselves until we can kind of figure out the preferred lending um, criteria, if you, if you want to call it. But um, um, now we're doing a bigger development soon. So that one's going to be for sure conventional lending. It's going to be a longer process. Uh, never done that before. So we'll learn as we go. We're going to look at uh, <clears throat> probably government funding too. There's programs where like if you can do um, a low, uh, lower income housing, you know, you can get a way better, way better interest uh, rate. And so we're going to look into that. Uh, but yeah, our, our, our number one strategy is still with our credit union, getting the conventional lending for construction loans and just keep tracking the way we've been. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Did you, if you had another lending question, I was going to kind of change directions a little bit, but go ahead, John, if you had another lending question. I was going to change directions as well, Well, Kyle. you change first, <laughs> and then I'll change next. How's you, that? I think you should change direction, and then I'll see if we need to change again, course correct again. All right, so I have a question about design, and I think you're the perfect person for this because this is something – what you guys are doing um, – so I, I invest in long-term rentals. I just buy existing structures because I'm lazy. And it's just way easier to throw money at something and then make money off of that money. You know, it's just, I think a lot of, there's, there's just not very many developers out there. There's a lot of developers, but I would say if you put them in a room with, with, uh, you know, and just investors who, who buy long-term rentals, those investors that buy long-term are going to be way outnumbered or are going to outnumber the developers. And I've always wanted to do developing. I was just super interested in, it. I love construction. Um, I don't know how to do it because I'm not a very good designer. And so I would be, I'm curious if maybe you could explain to us what is the right layout for a house for somebody who wants to build something for, you know, to really appeal to to somebody. Is it a two story with a, does it have to have a bathroom on the bottom and top? I mean, what how would you design a house that was the perfect place for a tenant, which is what you already a doing. house or a fourplex or because right now my four fourplexes are my forte, right? So <laughs> a custom oh, house. Tell us the fourplex. Absolutely. I love multifamily. Yeah. So yeah, tell, tell us how, how this, because I've looked at your buildings. They're very unique because when I look at the front of your buildings, it actually looks like a mansion. It, you can't even really tell that these things are necessarily multifamily projects. I love it. I think it's a wonderful idea. You, you don't see these individual townhome looking properties which is pretty typical here in the state right so i'm curious how you guys where your design mind goes with this so i find and this i mean design is a personal preference all around right you'll talk to someone and they'll prefer two-story homes and like townhomes or whatever with three-story levels i hate stairs i'm lazy i don't like to go up and down stairs all day long so i want i want everything on one level um here in canada i and it there's a lot of stuff like that too in the States, but it's not like that everywhere. Um, basements is a big thing here, uh, right? Everybody, we, we all build with basements. So the way that we typically build is we'll do like a five, because we have to dig five feet minimum to be below frost and stuff like that. Um, but usually the typical um, height for a, for a foundation is eight feet in ground. So the basement is eight feet in ground. We'll just do five feet. We go at the minimum. So we have five foot foundation walls and then we have like a three foot standard wall on top to have bigger windows. And so we'll do, um, so basically it's like a half out basement. Um, and then, so we'll have a basement unit and then we'll have a top unit. And then again, like a top unit on the other side and a basement unit on the other side. So that's how we design our four plexes usually. Um, so you'll, if you're outside, you'll go upstairs like seven stairs, you're on the main floor level or from outside you go down seven stairs and you're in the basement level. Um, so there's not too many stairs 
like to go up, we're trying to think too in terms of, uh, you know, barrier free or reduce mobility, stuff like that. If you want to appeal to an older generation as well, they usually typically don't like stairs. Um, so we don't like to have a lot of stairs, but you can't really run away from that too. Um, so that's how we like to do it. We like to have a mix to in our portfolio of two bedrooms and three bedrooms. We don't normally go for one bedrooms just because it's a, it's a smaller target market um so we have a mix of two three bedrooms uh one bathroom first if there's one bathroom we try to do like a dual uh sink you know like a like a luxury enough bathroom space uh if there's two bathrooms usually it's because it's an ensuite and then the bathrooms are a little smaller but at least you have those two spaces uh, that you can use um and then we try to incorporate usually with the top units a garage because it is a big thing here people need storage people like they'll they'll pay the extra f to have that um and so you can increase your rents a lot when you have a garage and an outdoor space we try to give everyone an like their individual outdoor spaces or else because we have a property where there's a shared yard and there's a lot more turnovers there's a lot more managing on that side um so especially since covid people want outdoor spaces right it's really important um, so we try to incorporate that with each design. So outdoor spaces, garage, uh, reduce the number of stairs, big windows for natural light, um, luxury enough bathrooms. We try to incorporate to their own laundry rooms because like laundromats here is not really a thing. There is one in town, but it's people usually have their own laundry machines. Um, although like it won't stop us if we're, when we're doing our bigger uh, development, we might do a communal laundry room where we can have coin operating machine, have that extra income as well. Uh, so it's all things that uh, we try to keep in mind when we're designing there. That's awesome. Um, uh, Kyle, I'm so glad you, <laughs> you made that pivot because that's, that's super interesting. I think that's like such the fundamentals of, of you know, I'm, I'm just getting into this and looking at um, multifamily. That, that kind of is a good tick list to think about when I, when I go through that. Thank you for listening to this episode of Investories podcast. And uh, as you can imagine, we're super stoked with that content, amazing strategies, amazing techniques um, that we've really been able to dig into. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that, which is really all about uh, the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same. We're going to call it Wednesday Wins and we're going to tackle that on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.